everybody. Welcome to Monkey Business, your favorite podcast about primates and PhDs. This is Matt. And this is Sierra. Are you excited for ASP? I honestly, excited might be one of the words I would use to describe how I'm feeling because I think it's starting to like loom on me that I need to get my stuff done for it. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, the American Society of Primatologists is having their annual meeting in Oklahoma City in November, right around the time that this episode is going to be airing. Um, and so both Sierra and I are going to be presenting posters mm -hmm. uh, at that place. So Sierra, what is your poster going to be on? I don't even remember what mine's titled. I know what it's on, but uh, I need to look into that. Mine is on uh, social energy budgets. And I compared howler monkeys and white-faced capuchins. Nice. So I did that when I was down in Costa Rica for field okay. school. So good old field study. Yes. I was nice. supposed to present it in 2020, but that one, mm. that conference, I actually don't think it ever happened. Yeah. I don't, I think it got canceled. Yeah. Don't quote us on that, but yeah. I think it got canceled. It was postponed and then postponed. And then after the first postponement, I just like yeah. canceled yeah. because no. <laughs> I'll just catch it in 2021. And so I was supposed to present this in 2020, so I figured I'd just do it in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's not the most exciting study, but. Well, I mean, you'll find, like, I mean, it's probably more exciting than, if you have pictures of monkeys, it'll probably be more exciting than, like, half the posters there, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just, like, knowing from the previous conference that I've been to, like, conferences that I've been to, it's, you know, the bar is pretty low for posters. Not saying that you shouldn't do amazing because like there's an awesome opportunity for you to like really get practice presenting in front of audiences, but mm -hmm. they're usually really low key. Like the poster sessions are super not intense so mm -hmm. like very relaxed and chill, which is awesome. So I also heard that that's a time when people walk around with some wine and some beer yes. and so things are having a good time <laughs> yeah usually during the poster sessions there's always just there's always a bar or something and so everyone's just kind of walking around just kind of honestly the biggest thing is people looking at posters and just looking at cool ideas or stuff like that um sometimes you will get people though that come up to your poster and start like really kind of critiquing you which um you know i mean it's we're scientists so it's important but also, it's a poster session, so you're not really. I don't know. I don't know. Expecting it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, and I think there's also there's a difference between like coming up and critiquing your poster and coming up and you know offering suggestions about how to improve it or like mm -hmm. asking questions that maybe you hadn't thought about. Um, they can be like the same thing, but they're expressed very differently, and I don't think that everyone's the best at expressing them in the positive, <laughs> constructive feedback way. So, um, what's your poster about, Matt? So my poster is on my extended market uh, femoral choice task project, which was a computer task in which the capuchins had to learn to prioritize different food options. So it's a very ecologically relevant food task. So I'll just be presenting my results on that, which are looking actually pretty good, which is nice, um, yeah. significant, and nice. there's a big difference and it matches up mostly with my predictions. There's definitely some uh, confounds in there, but... It's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting and uh, throw a, slap a picture of Griffin up there maybe and uh, I let it. I hope you just, do. Yeah. And for everybody, uh, Griffin is Matt's favorite monkey. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> Love Griffin. Uh, so throw a picture of Griffin on my poster and maybe a picture of some other ones and uh, 
there's that. Also, for anybody who doesn't know, because this is something that I never knew as an undergrad, but when you make a poster, you're supposed to use PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah I actually have never made a poster before, so I Googled how to make a poster, and there are a lot of good YouTube videos up. Oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. Nice. If you ever need to make a poster and you don't have anyone to tell you that, we're here to tell you that if you need to make a research poster for a conference or a poster for anything, you can do it on PowerPoint and then print it. We at Georgia State can print through Georgia State, but you can also get it printed at like Staples. I know I've got one printed at Staples. It's expensive though. So be wary. So we'll, we'll move on to the topic of discussion today, but uh, we'll definitely probably do an episode updating everyone about ASP and kind of just maybe talking about what it was like at a conference, just digesting everything that we listened to, maybe even things that we jotted down from talks that we heard, because those are always cool to like, sometimes at conferences, you get to hear the the research that's not out there, not published yet. And so if we hear anything like that, we'll uh, uh, write that down and talk to you guys about it whenever we get back from ASP. But so we go ahead and move on to the topic of today. So last week we talked about infanticide and some of the theory behind it and how people have approached researching it. So this week we're actually going to talk about a couple papers that have come out recently on infanticide. Let's start with reading the abstract and then we'll uh, get into the discussion. Also, the reason we read the abstract is just to kind of give you guys a, a preface of, of what the paper is and all that kind of stuff. So Always is a good summary. Yes. All right. So this paper is titled Evaluating Adaptive Hypotheses for Female-Led Infanticide in Wild Chimpanzees. Uh, it's by Kara Walker, Stefan Forster, Carson Murray, uh, Juice Majungu. I might have butchered that name. I'm so sorry. Um, and then Anna Pousset. So um, yeah. And so here is the abstract. Um, Although rare among group living primates, infanticide by females has been reported in several chimpanzees' populations. We examined 13 infanticidal attacks over 47 years at Gombe National Park in Tanzania to evaluate three adaptive hypotheses. First, exploitation of the infant as a food resource. By evaluating a vulnerable neonate, attackers gain calories that may be important during periods of food scarcity or energetic stress. Number two, resource competition. Gombe females concentrate their foraging in overlapping core areas and dominance rank influences foraging success. By killing the infant of a female with high core area overlap, the perpetrator removes a current and future competitor, improving her access to food. Number three, low cost. Female chimpanzees mature and reproduce slowly and longevity increases reproductive success. Physical aggression causes risk of severe injury or death, so females will only mount attacks when risks to the perpetrator are low. In support of hypothesis number one, females usually consumed the carcass. However, attacks were not more likely at times of resource scarcity. In support of hypothesis two, Females attacked others with whom they shared core areas, but attacks did not cause significant shifts in ranging patterns. In support of hypothesis three, one or more attackers always outranked the victim. The attacks often involved coalitions and victims usually lacked kin support. Attacks were more likely to be successful when attackers were not hindered by clinging infants and victims could not retreat. Our results provide further evidence for female competition and the adaptive value of female-led infanticide in this species. 
Wow. So there's lots to unpack there. Um, yes. for sure. It was a I think one of the first things to start with is in this article, there are three leading hypotheses as to why infanticide in females occur. And mm -hmm. I think this article did a really great job at breaking those down. And so they mentioned those in the abstract. And those were exploitation of the infant as a food resource. Yep. And resource competition. And then the last one was low cost hypotheses. Yeah. And the authors of this article have highlighted those three hypotheses and then further broke them down into if this hypothesis is the driving force for female-led infanticide, they will then see these three outcomes, which they mm -hmm. call their predictions. Yeah. And they broke those down into different predictions and then tested each of those predictions with their observations that they had from this study site. So yeah, I, I want to take yeah, I want to take a second and just say like kudos to them. Mm -hmm. That's a great way. When you read this paper, if anybody, we encourage everyone to go read this paper on their own, of course, because we can only touch on little pieces of it in this mm -hmm. podcast. But it's a fantastic way. You and I were talking about this earlier. It's a fantastic mm -hmm. way for them to kind of outline. And if you're really looking on how to do science, this is like this paper outlines how you should do science. And I'm just going to touch a little bit on what this means. So for the hypotheses of exploitation of the infant as a food resource, an example prediction is if this hypothesis is the one leading female-led infanticide, you'll see that a carcass is consumed by the perpetrator and her relatives. So yeah, the first one is basically saying, you know, maybe females kill infants because they need them for food and they can utilize that high value resource of meat as an energy resource that they honestly is kind of low cost to get for them. I mean, there's obviously lots of costs, maybe costs associated with that, including probably aggression from the mother and everything, but well, that's, we'll go over that in the low yeah, cost. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's this idea that if you're hungry, you know, maybe you can go hunt for a monkey or uh, mm -hmm. you could just eat an infant that is nearby. Mm -hmm. So the first prediction would be... That you would have to, if this is the hypothesis that is driving this, you would have to consume the carcass in order to gain those nutrients. Yeah, otherwise that hypothesis has no merit, right? If mm -hmm. their females are just killing the infants and leaving their bodies, then, well, they're obviously not doing it for food. No. And one thing that they kind of expanded upon is their second prediction was that the the attackers are in energetically expensive reproductive states. Mm -hmm. And I think this goes to, it's probably pretty expensive in terms of energy and your social and costly on your social relationships if you are just to attack infants left and right. As it would be in humans as well. Yeah. You know, if I'm just going around attacking kids, yeah. parents aren't going to be real happy with me. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and so they predict that in times when the female's body needs more energy in nutrients, then they're more likely to partake in infanticide. Yeah. And I think uh, prediction number three and four kind of go into that too, which is the predictions three and four were basically saying that if this was as a means to get food, we would also expect 
infanticide to be higher mm -hmm. from females during times of food scarcity. Right. Um, so when food is like not present, basically like, right. If, if my uh, pantry is empty, I'm more likely to seek out food one way. So like mm -hmm. in this case if the chimpanzee's pantry is empty, maybe they try and go for an infant because they're there, they're readily available, unlike the food sources they normally go for. Right. Um, and so that kind of goes along with that, that, uh, reproductive state or like you're saying, right? If you need food, if this truly is only because the females are trying to eat, all these predictions should be true. Right. And prediction three and four were attacks more common in times of elevated energetic stress and attacks occur when meat consumption is lower. And we'll actually see that in this paper too, that, mm -hmm. uh, spoiler alert, they do consume the carcasses of the infants and often spend hours eating them. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. And then for the second hypothesis, resource competition, had, they had three predictions. Which just before we do that, the resource competition is basically saying that like, uh, and so moving away from the food consumption of the, like mm -hmm. consuming the infant, this, this hypothesis is basically saying that when resources are limited, uh, infants are easier uh, to eliminate than adults. And so if you are able to eliminate an infant, you eliminate both a present and a future competitor over resources such as like land and food and stuff like right. that. I think that the resource competition hypothesis kind of draws from the, a lot of the male yeah. hypothesis. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, which we talked about a little bit too. Mm -hmm. I forget what we called it, but I've, you know, I've heard like the future competitor hypothesis mm -hmm. or eliminating a future competitor hypothesis. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the second hypothesis. So what are the predictions? And the three predictions are attacks are more likely when competition is elevated. The second one, which essentially is what the hypothesis, you know, is saying. <laughs> and then the second one is females selectively attack mothers with whom they compete independent of association patterns. And this independence is, what this means is it's their association and how much they interact with the victims is independent statistically of their home range. Yeah. And then the third prediction is that uh, these core areas should, as a result of the infanticide, change, right? And so that's getting kind of at the benefit of it, mm -hmm. right? If the core overlap doesn't change, then it's like, well, you just killed the infant for no reason because there needs to be some sort of result from the behavior. And so that's what that third prediction is getting at. Right. All right. And then for the last hypothesis was the low cost hypothesis. Yes. And, and this, this one was a little bit, I think it makes sense, but I didn't really think of it at, at first. Um, and well, I'm going to say this, it makes sense. Yes. But I think that it's different from the first two hypotheses. It explains, a, it explains a very different aspect of the behavior, whereas the other two are kind of explaining like an explanation as to why the behavior is occurring. This one is just kind of saying like, so, I mean, well, this hypothesis is basically saying that females will only attack infants when the cost to do so is low. Yeah, which kind of makes me feel like they're, it's assuming that females may always want to snatch these infants, but will only do so when the cost is low. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of flipping the um, like motivation mm -hmm. where the first two look at it as this is a result of food scarcity, whereas the other one is not really considering that. 
and thinking that like, oh, they do want to, they maybe like the taste of infants and so, or they maybe like not mm, the infants, yum. but then they are just waiting for the opportunity in order to commit infanticide, which is a little bit of a, I think it's just a different background yeah. into the motivations. Basically, I saw it as a confirmation that they're taking the cost into effect. Basically, mm-hmm. like this is not something that they just randomly do and they randomly kill infants. Or like you said, they just like killing infants, but will only do it when it's, you know, not costly. Yeah. Um, which I don't think that's what they're saying exactly, but yeah. And I definitely got that feeling from their first prediction. So the first prediction, if this hypothesis is a driving factor for infanticide is the infant is young and easy to snatch. Yeah. (laughs) So that kind of made me feel like it was, at least that's when I started to feel like it was one of those things that's just like the female's just waiting until she has her opportunity to snatch him. Very predatory almost. And it's like, oh, like I love ice cream, (laughs) but I'm only going to ever eat ice cream when it's super easy to get to or super cheap or on sale. Like that's, that's literally what I got from that first prediction. But So that was that first one. The second prediction is there's a power differential is important, which this makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So this is saying that those who commit infanticide are more likely to do so when they are higher ranking Mm -hmm. than those that they're attacking the young of. And that these attackers have coalitions with female kin, so they have a lot more power in terms of support and then power numbers in this way right like if this is for example it's easy to think about the counter to this which would be if females are attacking these infants on their own then maybe this has nothing to do with being the cost because you know we see cooperative hunting we see um cooperative aggression against things we see like all that sort of stuff in chimpanzees so you know that it's possible so you would expect that if infanticide is occurring and it has something to do with the cost and they're associating with the cost you'd expect them to do it in groups because that's way less costly than doing it alone right and that the power differential between the two females in the situation would be reduced if males are present Yep. So this is because males typically are higher ranking in chimpanzee society. So if uh, males are present, it kind of diminishes the power of the higher ranking female because she is no longer higher ranking in that context. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll get into the results they find with the with regards to males being present. But yeah, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I will say, though, and, and another one that they also predict is that like if in if a female were to be committing infanticide that ones that have infants, so like one that's an infant that's clinging to them, they should commit infanticide less because, you know, you don't want to get your offspring involved. It's a very costly behavior to be caring for an offspring. And so at that point, you know, probably not the best time to commit infanticide. Because you might hurt yourself or your infant. Yeah. So that's another one. Um, and the last one is like the ground versus the tree thing, mm-hmm. which was, you know, you. I think they say that they would expect most infanticides to happen on the ground because a lot of times chimpanzees, when they get an aggressive attempts in trees can fall out of the tree. So if they are only committing infanticide at the lowest possible point of cost, mm-hmm. they would more likely to do it on the ground than in the trees, which I thought was interesting too. I will say though, that for all four of these predictions, more so than the previous two hypotheses, and, and maybe this is just because, um, 
the previous two hypotheses are a little bit different. Um, these are more, these seem like more suggestive, like, you know, we might not find all of this, but like we would anticipate, you know, that chimpanzees are trying to get the lowest cost, you know, they're only going to commit infanticide at the lowest cost possible. And all these factors kind of factor into cost. But as we know from both human behavior, animal behavior, we are not great at optimizing our behavior all the time. Like as much as we like to think we are, we are not perfect at finding that you know, the lowest cost, you know, same thing with stocks, right? We don't always buy low and sell high. We're just not perfect. So I think these are all more suggestive. We would expect to see a trend in that direction, but it's not necessarily the end all be all. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also costs that we don't anticipate, but these are what the authors thought were the largest costs. Yeah. And also too, you have to go over, you have to remember that this is over 47 years worth of data. Yeah. So so this is, let's go into where this was conducted. Yeah, absolutely. So this was conducted in Gombe, which in, I think there's three community of chimpanzees in Gombe, which is in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? That's Um, where Jane Goodall did all of her work. Yes. Yeah. And so most of her work, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was looking specifically at 13 infanticidal attacks led by females that were observed over the course of 47 years. So, so just to highlight how rare yeah, this Yeah, is. when we say rare, well, I mean, we're talking le- less than one every three and a half years. Yeah. This is a very, now also, this is, these are humans observing this. So it's also possible that they the, missed them. They missed them. But it's also possible that that is most of them because these chimpanzees have been studied for so long yeah and it's a very active field site so i mean it could be that they haven't missed anything either because of how active this field site is they are also restricted as much as like we can sit here and want to test these hypotheses they are restricted by the data that has been collected over the years and most of the people who are working on the data now likely were not the ones working with the data 40 years, you know, at the beginning. So yeah. lots has changed over yeah. time. And that is something to be very mindful of. Now that we've established where we're getting the data. Yes. Let's I, get into what they found. They did find some support for some of their predictions that we went through, but they also found a lot that did not support it. I, I love that about this paper. Like I said, in the beginning, it's just, you see this, it's almost like, and I don't, I think this is rare for papers now. I think so too. Is it, you really see start to finish the scientific process unfolding here, mm-hmm. you know, the introduction and why, why they're looking at this, then all these three hypotheses that could possibly explain female infanticide, you know, if they, if each one of these is true. Now, remember, they're not all mutually exclusive and they could all be playing some sort of role. And so they could be playing a factor, they could be playing a part in any, or all of the cases of infanticide right. that happen every three and a half years. Yeah. So we'll go over the results real quick. So starting with the first hypothesis, I actually am just going to read this directly from, and then we're going to talk. So in favor of the exploitation hypothesis, which is basically exploiting the infants as a food source, the carcasses were at least partially consumed in most cases. When the perpetrator retained the carcass, she fed for many hours, usually until nightfall. Okay, so that's first prediction. We would expect... Yep that the carcass to be eaten so going back to this in six of the seven ones in which they had data on the consumption of the carcass found that in six of the seven cases there there were 13 attacks but they didn't have data on all of them in six of those seven 
they saw that the carcass was consumed, which does support that maybe they are using them for food. And I think mm-hmm. in the one case that they weren't, I think the, they said something along the lines that the mom had gained access to the carcass and like was carrying it away or something like that. So they could not consume it if they wanted to. So yeah, pretty good support. But the rest of the predictions were not supported. And what were those again? And those were that the attackers are in an energetically expensive reproductive state. Attacks are more common in times of elevated energetic stress and attacks occur when meat consumption is lower. Yeah, which I think altogether kind of just says like, even though they were consumed, the food was consumed, they weren't, it didn't seem based on the external context that the animal was in, that the chimpanzees were in, that they needed to consume it, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a need. It wasn't like my pantry's empty. I need an infant. It was, right. I killed the infants. I'm going to eat it now, which kind of gets it. I think there's a paper about like the opportunity of just eating. It's like, why well, I give up the opportunity. I already killed it. So cool. All right. So that's hypothesis number one. Mm-hmm. As for the second hypothesis, which was the resource competition one, which is this idea of, you know, getting rid of a present or future uh, competitor of resources. Females that attempted or committed infanticide were more likely to target victims that occupied core areas that overlapped with their own. So first finding, right, there is an effect of this core area overlap. So that is in support of the hypothesis, which, you know, you would expect if this was about competition, you would only want to attack infants that were going to possibly compete on your land. You wouldn't go out of the way to kill an infant. The second prediction is that females selectively attack mothers with whom they compete independent of association patterns. Mm-hmm. And this one was a bit confusing for us. Yes, we definitely took a little bit of time to discuss this. I mean, we still might not get it right, but once again, that's science. And they found that there was no such biased association for female attackers and victims, despite having such a high spatial overlap. So this is basically saying that the female attackers and the victims, like despite them having core overlap, which usually as you know, as you would expect means that you are interacting on a regular basis. They found that this interaction statistically was not independent and that the females they attacked had a high core overlap, but they did not interact with associate, like they did not associate with. Mm -hmm. So there's not that independence there. Either way, it's confusing result, but I think the main takeaway, let's not get like too bogged down in the, in the roots of it. The main takeaway is that indeed they were attacking uh, the offspring of females with which they have high core area overlap. Yeah, but this, despite this, they had some kind of a range, home range shifts, but it was not statistically significant. Yeah, so one of the predictions would be that there should be a result from this, right? There should be a resulting decreased competition, but in fact, the home ranges don't change. In fact, actually, they find that the attacker or the perpetrator that they call them, Mm -hmm. their home range changed more than the victim's home range changed. Yeah. Which goes against what you would predict. They did say though, with regards to this shift, that it's possible that the shift that they were measuring was a short-term shift. And it's possible that there might be a long-term shift that they were unable to, you know, kind of correlate with this, right? If it's something that happens years later, even though this is the 47 year data set, I mean, if this is something that happens like years later, it wasn't going to be something that they were going to be able to detect or find, nor would they be able to be like, oh, this was a direct result of Of this this attack. attack." (laughs) Yeah. So one also, one additional piece of evidence, which I thought was important with this hypothesis was that they found attacks were more frequent 
when the sex ratio was skewed towards females, which, you know, that wasn't actually one of their predictions, I don't think, but it's interesting to look at because you would expect, you know, just like in the males, whether it's females, right? If, if this is about removing a competitor, you would expect it to happen more when there's more competitors, right? Yes. Because you're trying and to reduce did. that competition. And, and they, they did find that. that. Um, so that's interesting. And although I don't think it was an explicit prediction, it is uh, an interesting finding that does maybe provide a little bit of merit for this hypothesis. So, mm -hmm. all right. Third hypothesis. It's important to remember that this this hypothesis is one of those that, you know, like we talked about, the predictions are, you know, just because some, they didn't find that doesn't mean that it's not at play because this hypothesis is more looking at, you know, are the chimpanzees taking the idea of cost into effect? And they 100% um, were. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's absolutely. what they found. Yeah. And that's what I think their interpretation of this is too, is, you know, they say that there's some support for hypothesis one and hypothesis two, but there's a lot of support for hypothesis three, not necessarily in the terms of, chimpanzees love killing infants and just do it whenever it's low, but more along the lines of they do take cost and they take cost into consideration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, because they did find support on basically all of their predictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just to kind of go over like the support for each of these, just so you guys, cause you guys don't have the numbers in front of you, but like, for example, the first prediction being that, <laughs> They snatch them because they're easy to snatch. 12 of the 13 infants were less than two months old, making them very, very vulnerable. Then you also see that only three of the 13 attacks occurred by a female carrying an infant. Once again, you wouldn't want to attack another infant while you're carrying an infant, which is extremely costly. Mm -hmm. They also found with regards to the trees, they found that only five of the or six of the 13 which eh, that's not great, but six of the 13 attacks occurred in trees, whereas the rest occurred on the ground. So that one's not that's really great like support. Yeah, it's kind of half and half. So that's not great support. They did find that in seven of the 13, they did have coalitions of attackers. And so these that's just some numbers for you guys. So I kind of see some of the support, yeah. although not all of them are great support, Yeah, I guess. So I guess they did kind of find some mixed. And one thing to highlight here too is that, you know, there was only 13 instances. Yeah. So it makes the power of those analyses lower. And the other thing is all 13 didn't have data on all those things. Right. So it's and possible so that it was even less. <laughs> yeah. All in all, I think in conclusion, it was a situation where all three of these might be at play. <laughs> and I think that this paper, like I said, most importantly, it's just an awesome way to like okay. write a paper because you just see the scientific process, but also it's just kind of cool to. And I thought it was a good example of how, you know, people go about looking at or breaking down hypotheses into testable predictions. Or yeah. And also giving you guys an idea of like how data on this stuff in wild primates is like analyzed mm -hmm. and collected because that's, you know. 47 years worth of data and they had only 13 cases of this female infanticide. Not only is that rare, but also it's just showing how sometimes working as a primatologist can be a little bit of a struggle. And that's why we don't have answers to things yeah. uh, or conclusive answers, at least. I think we said in a past episode about how testing resources are really influential. That was a lot of resources put into this paper. And for the last thing I wanted to talk about um, was the albino chimpanzee paper. Well, I wanted to bring this up because first of all, it's one of the first observations of a albino chimpanzee in the wild. Mm -hmm. And it was 
subsequently killed within two days of its birth. Yeah. Which is pretty, I don't know, I found that pretty shocking. <laughs> I know, poor guy. Yeah. He already come out looking different. And, and then yeah, probably and didn't he, even realize. Well, I kind of wanted to bring this up as well because this is an instance where the three hypotheses that we talked about before are not any influence on this. Like, yeah. They did not consume the infant, but I'm not sure if this is because the researchers wanted to get the infant's body to perform the autopsy. Yep, definitely a possibility. So I can't say that like it would not have been consumed if it was left. And then the competition hypothesis possibly might be at play. And one thing that they didn't they weren't able to see was who specifically had uh, committed the infanticide. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it was male or female or a higher ranking individual, lower ranking individual. You don't have that information. But one thing that they really highlighted in this article was that the adult chimpanzees, when investigating this albino newborn, they kept a distance and produced alarm hoos and wah barks. And in chimpanzees, that those calls, and I'm reading this from the paper, are associated with risky and potentially dangerous situations such as encountering snakes, bush pigs, or unfamiliar humans. Yeah, I love this sentence too in the discussion where it's like, although it is not possible to draw a firm conclusion from this one observation, it appears that the encounter with the infant with albinism had an arousing effect on most adult community members. So, so this is a case study I think that I wanted to bring up to highlight that, you know, there are other context hypotheses that might be relevant in different situations. It just it's just interesting because you know we just spent our whole time talking about these three hypotheses that apply to female led infanticide. Although that you could also see how that they might be associated with male uh, male infanticide as well. But in this case, it it honestly seems obviously a case study, but it obviously seems like. They thought that this was different. They thought it was threatening. They thought it was a potential risk or a potential danger. And so they felt it was better to eliminate that threat, not because of competition, not because they wanted to eat it. Although, you know, it's interesting. I kind of wish that we would have gotten evidence of that because I feel like if they had thought it was a threat or dangerous, they wouldn't have eaten, they it. Wouldn't have eaten it. And also I wish they had seen who had committed the infanticide, yeah. although all this is tragic. It would have been really great data to have because if it was its own kin, that was, you know, that would mean a lot if it was done in a way where there was a lot of coalitionary support. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it was something that was like the group decision. This is weird. We don't know what this is. It's just a lot of speculation, but it's kind of cool because it, it doesn't really fall, seem to fall in one of those three hypotheses mm -mm. directly. I just thought it yeah. was an interesting little uh, paper that came out this year. Yeah. So cool. Well, I think that is all that we have for today. That was a a great discussion about infanticide. I know it's a heavy topic, but uh, hopefully we walked you guys through that paper and through that process and uh, and learned a little bit about the scientific methods in the wild. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see you guys again next week on another episode of Monkey Business. Thank you.